the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, you heard my thoughts, and we took some of your calls on uh, the ouster of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House, and we'll return to that topic in just a little bit. So if you want to call in or if you are on hold to talk about that, we will get to you, 602 508 0960. I'm hoping that the um, vacuum that was created today won't last uh, much more than uh, a few days, if that long. My suspicion is it will. But we do have what we often refer to as much more durable problems. And I wanted to um, not let this slip through the radar screen or slip through uh, the lily pads that we are forced to jump through with the uh, saturation of news that does come, because we do have an enduring problem, particularly in the Middle East, particularly with Iran. And one of the smartest uh, writers and thinkers on this is Jonathan Tobin. He is the editor of JNS and a senior contributor over at The Federalist. Hugely important piece at JNS.org. Who lost the battle to stop Iran's nuclear quest? Speaking of news that comes by and goes by quickly, Uh, I bet you didn't know what happened uh, on Friday of just last week. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Seth, thanks so much. It's great to be with you again. You betcha. It's been too long. My fault. Uh, We won't let it happen again, uh, this this chasm uh, between visits, especially as things are heating up so much. Tell the audience what they missed in Friday's afternoon news dump. Well, (laughs) it, it, it was huge news. But it was largely ignored, yep. certainly by the corporate media. Yep. Um, I don't think the New York Times and Washington Post uh, have even mentioned it yet. But it was something that was in um, a report that was published on Friday afternoon from the Department of Defense. Um, the unclassified version of uh, their document that says the strategy for countering weapons of mass destruction included some really important news. And it's sad that, and, you know, the context here is that for the last 20 years, one of the key elements of American foreign policy has been trying to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon or, or becoming a threshold nuclear power, where the, you know, it, it, which is indistinguishable from having a weapon. And that report said that, quote, Iran now has the capacity to produce enough fissile material for a nuclear device in less than two weeks, 12 days, in fact. What this means, I mean, it, it, it's really, you know, a, a, you know, a sea change moment in American foreign policy that nobody is talking about, because this means that basically the game is over. After all these years of American, and I might add, Israeli, hand-wring, and, and Saudi and other people in the Middle East, elsewhere, hand-wringing about Iran's quest for nuclear weapons, um, we now know that they are already in threshold nuclear power. This changes the dynamic of the Middle East. It changes you know, our diplomacy. And it's something we need to acknowledge. Yes, you're right. There's big news in Washington today. 
Lots of other things for us to care about in terms of, you know, the disaster that is the Biden administration. But it's worth asking, and that's the conceit of my piece that I published yesterday in JNF.org, was to say, well, okay, now that this has happened, how did it happen? Right. Who lost Iran? Right, who like lost in 1949, Iran? who lost China? Who lost Iran, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a question worth asking. It's not just a matter of recrimination, right. because the same people who are chiefly responsible for this are currently in charge of American foreign policy. Well said, well put, and good work. Let me just repeat for those that may have missed it. In the U.S. Department of Defense's current strategy for countering WMD that was issued on Friday, they wrote that Iran now has the capacity to produce enough fissile material for a nuclear device in less than two weeks. Two weeks. All right, Jonathan, you um, you did a great job of reciting that, and you did a great job of analyzing the various uh, accusations or finger pointings. Um, some could blame Barack Obama. Some could blame Donald Trump. Some could blame any number of, uh, of uh, foreign leaders and their a- actions. At the end of the day, uh, the JCPOA, the canceling of the JCPOA, John Kerry's back— uh, uh, what would you call it, back alley work in 2018, 2019 with mm-hmm. the mulocracy of Iran. Um, where is it? Where, where where should the figure point? Well, let's first acknowledge that this was a process that is about more than just Obama and Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, Iran's empowerment, sadly, was an unintended consequence of the Iraq war. Um, it's not what the Bush administration wanted, let's be very clear. Um, and taking out Saddam was, you know, uh, a just act. He was terrible. He supported terrorism. He was a brutal dictator. You know, say everything. But so long as Iraq was a powerful uh, threat in the region, uh, Iran's main worry was about Iraq. Yeah, the right. Iran-Iraq war of the 1980s, people forget about it. It wasn't covered at the time much in this country. But the fact is, as long you know, as Saddam was in power, Iran wasn't a regional That's power. Right. It was embattled. Right. Taking Saddam out made Iran immensely more powerful. It made them richer. It gave them virtual control of Iraq through the Shia population Correct. there enabled them to preserve their ally in power in Syria, Bashar Assad. It gave them a, a, a reasonable uh, quest for regional hegemony, and it set them on this road. And also Bush, it also made it impossible for the United States, certainly under Bush and then under a subsequent president, to attempt any military you know, effort to stop Iran's nuclear quest. Because Americans had rightly grown sick of foreign wars in the Middle East that led to nowhere. That, you know, that, was, that put military action, though it's always been threatened, it put it off the table. That was one problem. Israel also was deterred from striking early in this process because of the United States, because of worries about alienating the Americans. Israel might have struck in 2012, but Netanyahu didn't. Um, because he felt that he needed to get the Americans on board, get the world on board. That didn't happen. So, on, you know, although he has been the most eloquent and the most important factor in galvanizing the world to awareness about Iran's threat, in the end, the failure to, of Israel to act also led to where we are today. Right. But the main culprits 
are Barack Obama and his second secretary of state, John Kerry. Um, Obama had as his objective a recasting of American foreign policy in, in the Middle East away from traditional allies like Israel and Saudi Arabia and for a rapprochement with Iran. To that end, he appeased Iran. He led to the disastrous nuclear deal, which guaranteed that they would eventually get a weapon and also enriched and empowered them. Trump rightly rejected that once he was elected um, because, frankly, somebody was going to have to do that sooner or later if if Iran was going to be prevented from, from getting a bomb. Trump is blamed for torpedoing the Iran nuclear deal without a viable alternative in place. But that's not fair because his strategy of massive pressure and maximum, you know, uh, sanctions might have had a chance to work if the Iranians hadn't been assured by John Kerry in an act of open collusion with an enemy power that is, you know, bordering on treasonous um, to just sit tight and wait till 2021. Biden could have signaled when he was running for re-elect, running in 2020, that he was not going to go back to appeasement of Iran. He could have said, listen, you know, I'm going to be tougher on Iran than, than Trump. And they might have been forced to deal. But instead, they waited and they got what they wanted, which is what Kerry urged them to do. And that's why we are where we are. Appeasement failed here. It got us to a point. It didn't get us a rapprochement. It didn't you know, help Iran get right with the world, as, you know, Obama stupidly said, it empowered and enriched them. It got them to the point where they're now a nuclear, a threshold nuclear power. And even if they never build that bomb, and we have to hope that those who tell us that they're too rational ever to do something as crazy as starting a nuclear exchange with Israel, this just makes, this gives them impunity to continue as the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism it makes the Saudis feel that they need their own nuclear weapon, and it's hard to blame them under the circumstances because despite you know, efforts you know, by China to bring those two countries together, they're still sworn enemies. Um, this has made the world a much more dangerous place, and the guilty men here primarily are Obama and Kerry and, frankly, all the people they put in place, their underlings, like Antony Blinken, who have made this disaster not only possible, but inevitable. Jonathan Tobin, man, um, listen, I'm going to ask you back next week, given the big news today that we've got to cover as well, I'll, uh, I'll ask if I can have you back next week, because this is such an important story, and I want to repeat it, JNS.org, who lost the battle to stop Iran's nuclear quest. They're two weeks away. Jonathan, thank you. God bless you, sir. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 talking about the ouster of Kevin McCarthy. Um, I don't think you've missed the news, but if you have, uh, he is no longer the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Um, the Democratic Caucus, along with um, eight Republicans, uh, voted him out of office. Speculation uh, abounds as to who may Uh, run to take his place, or whether he will run himself to try and regain his place. And uh, I gave uh, a lot of thoughts on that in the first hour, took a break from it to discuss this news out of Iran, and uh, happy to return to it with you all. 602-5080-960. Love to hear your thoughts. Tim, thank you for your patience. You're in Mesa. Welcome. 
Hey, Seth, can you hear me? I can. Thank you, sir. Yes. Seth. Can you hear me, Seth? I can hear you. Yes. Sounds like you can't. Hello? Yeah, hi. Can you hear us? Hello? Yeah, hi, Tim. Why don't you give us a call back if you're having a hard time hearing us? Uh, I'll try it one more time. Give us a call back, and uh, we'll put you right on. And anyone else who wants to weigh in, 602-508-0960. Here's how John Hinderocker wrote it up over at Powerline. Under a post titled Suicide of the House, who was it who said of the Palestinians that they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity? You could say the same of the Republican Party. Then there is the adage attributed to Napoleon that you should never interrupt an enemy when he is making a mistake. The Republicans violated that one too. By rights, the Democrats should be in disarray. The Biden administration has been a disaster as pretty much everyone knows, regardless of what some loyal loyalists may tell a pollster. And yet it is the Republicans who can't get their act together. Once again, they have bailed out the Democrats with an idiotic vote to oust Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. Only eight Republicans voted for Matt Gates's motion, but of course every Democrat voted to get rid of McCarthy. I'll read you more of what he said in a few minutes, I'll quote you an email I just received from listener Doug. Matt Gates just did what he accuses Speaker McCarthy of doing. Seth, let me get this straight. Matt Gates said we must get rid of Kevin McCarthy because he voted with the Dems on a continuing resolution. Right. Well, Mr. Gates just did the same thing. He just voted with 100% of the Dems to get rid of Kevin. Okay. Uh, I would love your listener, your uh, your your you the listeners thoughts on all of this uh we'll work it out together is that an old lbj saying david didn't he say some let's sit and reason together or something like that That's he was a, quoting his favorite bible verse yeah. from proverbs yeah which yeah. was and i forget the exact uh location of it but it was come let us reason that's together it. that's it yes. tim, do you know the best story about him in prayer no uh, the best story uh tim i'll get right to you in a moment and others who may want to call in, 602-508-0960. You may not be old enough to remember a very well-known PBS personality um, named Bill Bill Moyer. Do you remember Bill Moyer? Bill Moyers, actually, Bill Moyers. He was an assistant to Lyndon Baines Johnson, and uh, he was an ordained minister, actually. Uh, And indeed, not only was he an ordained ordained minister. He was a liberal. (laughs) But in any event, he was dining with the president one night, and they were seated at opposite sides of the table, and Lyndon Johnson asked Bill Moyers to say grace before meal. And Bill Moyers uh, was saying grace, and in the middle of the prayer, Lyndon Johnson yelled at him, speak up, I can't hear you. And Moyers said, Mr. President, I wasn't addressing you. All right, uh, fair enough. A little levity to all this. Tim, thanks for calling back. How are you, sir? Hey, good, Seth. Uh, that's a funny story. Hey, uh, I don't know the details of this Kevin McCarthy deal, but uh, if he would have held firm on the border and the result of that would have been a government shutdown, the American people totally would have been in the corner of the Republicans. Don't you agree? Understanding the scenario right. If Ke- Do it again, Tim. Say it again. I, I, missed, yeah, a, I missed a bridge if, you if, made. If, Go ahead. If Kevin McCarthy would have held his ground 
um, what's happening on the border. You know, reform, uh, remain in Mexico, some sort of yeah. uh, policy as part of this negotiation on this deal. And he would have held firm on it, and the government would have been shut down. The American people would have sided with the Republicans, don't you think? I don't know. I don't know. It it, it raises... Um it raises hypotheticals that we haven't seen before. Uh, the past three government shutdowns uh, that have taken place under both Republican and Democratic presidents uh, put the blame on the Republicans. The Republicans usually don't win government shutdown, which isn't to say we should do it. Uh, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I don't know. Uh, it's, uh, it's a Yogi Berra moment. The hardest thing to predict is the future, right? But, but what... Did you want from Kevin McCarthy on the border that he didn't do? He put border security into he he put border security uh, in HR two, and he issued it again last week, and he issued it again three days ago. Right. I I guess I'm not as familiar with the details of of the deal that was proposed and, and what was actually settled on, but. Uh, I, I'm not that mad. He seems like a great guy, but I'm not that mad that he's out. I just want someone in there who's going to not be afraid to shut down the border unless we spend less money, unless we get back to the remaining Mexico policy. Uh, things but that he are, passed that legislation. Oh, it was called H.R. 2. They named it. They name H.R.'s House Resolution by no, the, the level of importance they give to it. H.R. 1 is their biggest priority. H.R. 2 is their second biggest priority, and so on. And they passed H.R. 2 in May, and it was obviously killed by the Senate. I mean, when you ask the Speaker of the House to shut down the border, Tim, I mean, you're asking him to do something he has no constitutional power to do, right? Well, I, I, but he's in charge of funding, correct? And, and I don't know how we're spending—I don't know where the money's coming from to fly and bus people all over the country the way we're doing and putting them up in hotels. Where, where's that money come? What department or what what part of the budget <laughs> is that money coming from? I take it's, your point. Unbelievable. Yes. No, I take your yeah. point. And so then you tell me if the government shut down o- over stopping all funding of the government, how does it restart? At what point do you think the negotiation gets you to it ever opening it up again? Well, I think some of the Democrats would cave and say, listen, I guess we need to uh, make some reforms here and, and you know, they'd sign on to it. I, I, you think, I the, think president, eventually... uh, the president of the United States and a Democratic-controlled Senate would cave to a Republican House? I don't know. I, I, I just think this border issue is so huge, and I think the mass, the, the vast majority of Americans are, are, are sick and tired of what they're seeing on TV. Yeah, I agree with uh, you. I, I agree with you, which is why I think yeah. H.R. 2 was a very good piece of legislation. We had Republican... Congressperson after Republican Congressperson signing on to it and coming on this show to promoting it, and it gets killed in the Senate. That ain't well, Kevin McCarthy's fault. That's just not Kevin McCarthy's fault. All right. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter, from draconian COVID restrictions, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws, which uh, led to a Biden presidency. Most likely, Midas believes your finances will be next.
Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power, and their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer? Convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency they use to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you trust the veterans at Midas Gold Group, Seb Gorka, and I do, because they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Call Midas Gold Group at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. Um, I'll go back to your calls in a moment here, 602508. Zero nine six zero. I uh, figured I would be hearing the word rhino thrown around loosely, um, and I was delighted that uh, there wasn't a lot of it uh, today, um, though I figured people were going to have their finger on the trigger for it. First person I saw to use it or heard use it today, email I got. In an email I got, a fundraising email from Matt Gates at 3.53 this afternoon. I am being attacked and booed by rhinos, he says. Okay. That would include, just so we understand what constitutes a rhino these days, that would include um, Victor Davis Hanson. It would uh, include uh, Lauren Boebert. It would include Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, it would include uh, the rest of the Republican caucus that wasn't part of the eight. Pick your favorite conservative Republican Congressperson that would include Jim Jordan. It would include Congressman Mike Gallagher. I guess that's your Rhino Caucus. I guess that's your Rhino Caucus. And of course, there's Newt Gingrich and uh, Donald Trump, both of whom were supporting Speaker McCarthy maintaining his position. Okay, where am I going to next? Uh, Greg in Scottsdale. Hi, Greg. Hello. Um, so, Seb, I'm not, I don't know your age, but I'm old enough. I started listening to Rush Limbaugh when he first came out. And in the 90s, this was a topic. And there was one person in one group that actually did something about this, and that was Newt Gingrich and the contract with America. That was the last time anything was done even remotely with respect to the Constitution. What I find troubling today, and to your point about rhinos, no, I don't think this is a rhino thing. I don't think this is a, this is the word chaos. I consider much more peaceful than what we're going through now. And I'm not sitting here saying I think Gates did the right thing. I don't know. I don't even know what his plan is, so I can't say he did the right thing. But I would argue, I don't see how in any way, in any metric, and I would include all the people that you just mentioned there. VDH, who's an amazing individual yourself, Gingrich. Can one of you guys explain to me that we're even remotely in the same realm as a constitutional republic? Because there's not a person in Congress, either House, presidency, none of them have any regard for it. How many years has it been since a budget was drafted, since the appropriations was was done? And we're letting them do it. They don't care either side of the aisle. Nobody cares. When will we make them care? And I'm not saying this is the way to do it. All I'm saying is, what's it going to take for everybody to wake up and go, we're not in a republic. We're in a dictatorship. And I don't know how you define it otherwise. We're spending money on things. First of all, we don't have the money. We spend it anyway. Send it overseas. Where did it come from? Don't know. Just need it. Okay, shut up. Sit down. 
the absurdity that this place is being run by individuals who care about their constituents, I, I defy you to tell me in what way, and it's not in a bill, it's not just because somebody passed a bill or did this or did that or what. I, I wouldn't even know how to create a civics class based on this government. Would you? Because it's not a constitutional republic in any way, shape, or form. So, I think we're losing it. Uh, yeah, I could, I could, I could, I could conduct the class. I think we're losing it. Um, I think for sure we're losing it, and I think that we had a chance and have chances here and there to restore it. Um, that is what happens every two years. And I thought we'd make it a big. We made a big giant leap with the Republicans taking over the House of Representatives. Though with a slim majority, I would have liked to have built on it, and then I'd like to have moved on the Senate so we can restore it. That's what it's going to take. I think the Republican Party is far more attuned to your concerns than they used to be, though. Thanks. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508. 0960. The breaking news, of course, is Kevin McCarthy's ouster as Speaker of the House. And then the breaking news on top of that is that uh, he is not, uh, he has said he is not going to run again. So he will not be one of the candidates to, uh, he won't be resuming his speakership. We'll go to your calls here. Uh, John is in Peoria. Hello, John. Hi, Seth. How are you? I'm fine. I'm eating an ice cream. I caught you eating ice cream. What are you, Joe Biden? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good ice cream too. Good. Yeah, that's about the com- kind of comment you get from. Him. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm an old guy eating ice cream. Okay, <laughs> all right. How are you, Seth? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, Seth, please help me. <coughs> I don't know. I don't feel easy about this Matt Gate Gates guy Gates Gates yeah. whatever mm-hmm. his name is. Yeah, I just don't feel easy about the guy. To tell you the truth. I know some people that voted against the speaker, former speaker, and I like one person in particular, and he's here in Arizona. You probably know who I'm talking about. He's a real stand-up individual. Um, but help me out. Uh, I don't think this is a good move. Do you really? No, I've spent the last couple hours saying no and why. Um, if you missed my opening segment, I'd ask you to take a listen to it. Uh, I think, um, you know, we had them on the run, uh, and now uh, they have us in um, chaos and without a leader. Uh, We had them on the run, and we were putting them on the run, and now we have given power, uh, legislative power and control right now with this vacuum to the Senate, which is run by Democrats. This should have been a week where uh, we were— putting out findings on Joe Biden and his family's corruption, highlighting the growing crisis at the border, which even Democrats were starting to come around on, Democratic governors. We should have been highlighting the double standards uh, with regard to Jamal Brown's crime and disruption of a government proceeding by pulling of the fire alarm and made him, uh, you know, their version of of the kinds of congressmen they try to embarrass us about, uh, like George, what's his name in New York? This should have been that week. Um, we had a lot of new cycle, a lot of new cycles we could have run here, and uh, instead we decided to uh, immolate. Um, Bart is in uh, Phoenix. Are you in Phoenix, Bart? Bart, where are you calling from? Ch- Chandler. Chandler. Thank you for calling in. You bet. Go ahead. Hello. Yes. Beth. Yes. 
Okay. Hey, nice to talk to you. Thank I'm you. way overdue in contacting you and thanking you for the book, which really, the book you sent me, really ought to be a primer for Republicans getting ready to run for office. Oh, thank you. Which book uh, was that, Bart? It was the, uh, I don't have it in front of me, so I, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble with American I'm greatness, trouble, maybe? But, okay. No, it had to do with politics. Okay. And, uh, at any rate, uh, where is Lee Atwater when you need him, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I know. I, I've all I, I've been in, in this game since I was in basically since college and high school, um, and uh, you know fighting on Republican causes. Uh, and I've always said that we're not the grand old party, but we're the DOP, the dumb old party. And we showed it again today. Because we don't, we think too narrowly and too short term. Uh, we don't have the power. We don't have the the uh, levers of power. Uh, and we act, and we're trying to act, and some of us are trying to act as though we do. Yeah, we're we acting like we have a supermajority in the House, which we don't, and we're acting like we have a majority on the Hill, which we don't. <laughs> we have not. a thin nine-person majority in one of the two houses of the legislature. That's what we got. And people are wanting these maximalist things that are just unobtainable. They wanted border well, security. We passed legislation for border security. I'm sorry, someone asked me a few minutes ago, could you teach a— class on the Constitution. I certainly could. It means that the Senate gets a say, too. And they had a say. <laughs> and that's not Kevin McCarthy's fault. Well, this get, gets me to the point at which I called. I started to call on Friday, but you you, you were backed up with guests. Um, and um, uh, I, I think we're I think Republicans are framing the issue badly. And here's why. We don't know. First of all, we don't know for sure that Biden will be the candidate or who will be the candidate. But it looks as though it might be Biden. And we're focused entirely on almost entirely on him and Kamala. And uh, there is a whole raft of Democrat candidates for the House and the Senate state races. And we're not we need to shift a lot of the focus over to the Democrats in general, much like Mark Levin has done with his his book, The Democrat Party Hates uh, Hates America. That message needs to ring out across the country that it's not it's, it's not just enough to oppose Joe Biden, but we've got a whole party that has bought in to this woke nonsense, that's bought into the uh, policy agenda of the left. And that is what needs to be the focus of the target. And we missed opportunity after opportunity. I think you said it a few minutes ago. The guy that pulled the pulled the fire alarm in the house. That should have been a major issue. Yeah. Yeah. Major they, issue. I uh, mean, he disrupted the operations of government for which we have political prisoners uh, being sentenced uh, for doing far less, just standing around at the wrong time at the wrong place at an ill-advised moment, right? I mean, that was the charge they were put in jail on. Um, th- that's absolutely right. He, sh- he should have... He, you're at, Everything you said is right. The Mark Levin book is fantastic. We do need to be focusing on the House. I'll tell you who was pretty good about focusing on the House. It was Kevin McCarthy. He raised $62.5 million <laughs> for Republicans running for the House of Representatives in next year's election. I hope the next speaker, whoever it is, can be as successful as that, because that's what we need. 
That's what we need him doing. That's what he was doing while he was giving us pretty conservative policies. And Jim Jordan read the litany on the House floor today. I had forgotten how much we had accomplished in the last 10 months. But, yeah, um, when eight Republicans out of a caucus of 220 um, are able to do this, and they are able to do it, and they did it, um, this is now on them. They better show us the way forward here because I kind of thought we were moving forward, not at the speed I wanted, but in the right direction. Generally in the right direction, and uh, I guess we think tactically and not strategically. I don't even think and, today was a tactical thought. I don't know what the I don't yeah, know I, I what agree. the I, end I game was. Matt Gates said tactic. Matt Gates said on the floor of the House, if Speaker McCarthy won't do it, I will. I don't know what he meant. I will. I guess it meant getting him out of office because he then went to the steps of the Capitol and was asked, "Will you run for Speaker?" And he said, "Hell no, I don't want to run for Speaker." Hell of a tactic. Hell of a strategy. Thanks for calling, Bart. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Um, okay. Uh, Greg is calling back because he says he's mad at me. I'm sorry you're mad at me, Greg. What did I do to anger you? No, 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 no. not mad at you. I just think you mischaracterized like you just told that other gentleman that I'm challenging you to teach a constitutional class. No, I'm asking you to. I think what I said was some. I think what I said was I had a caller that asked me if I could teach a constitutional class on how we're how we're running our government today. And I said, yeah, that was me. Okay, yeah, you could teach. I'm not I'm not. No, I totally I know you could teach the Constitution. What I'm asking you is, can you teach the Constitution and use this body? Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I said. I said I could do it. The Senate gets a vote. That was my point. That is precisely what I said. We are running where the House does what the House does and the Senate does what the Senate does. And people are mad at Kevin McCarthy because the Senate isn't accepting what the House does. And the Senate isn't accepting what the House does is because the reason is because the Senate is in the hands of Democrats. That's exactly why it doesn't move forward. And the White House is in the hands of a Democrat. That's the way it works. That's the way it works ever since I was watching Schoolhouse Rock. You can blame Kevin McCarthy all you want, for not getting through election reform and not getting through immigration reform and not shutting down the border. But I got to tell you, H.R. 1 was election reform and we passed it. The Senate killed it. H.R. 2 was border security. Kevin McCarthy pushed for it. The Senate killed it. We can go down the line. We want impeachment inquiries taking place. He got us that. That is a constitutional process. He has done what someone in his position can do. And up until a month ago, Most conservatives calling into this show were saying he was a pleasant surprise because a lot of them thought he wasn't as conservative as he turned out to be. He has the exact same, by the way, I was looking it up uh, at the beginning of the show. He has the exact same conservative rating from the American Conservative Union, as does Matt Gates. Now. If you are concerned about the border, if you are concerned about the spending, if you are concerned about all the litany of things that people say and you said you're concerned about, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire when you get the replacement for Kevin McCarthy. I'm going to hold your feet to the fire and ask you to call back anytime you want, obviously, but for sure call back in the next three to four four months 
and tell me how much further that ball has been moved in the direction you say you wanted it moved in. I'm going to tell you, my guess, my bet, were I a betting man on these things, is it'll be closer to zero than closer to one. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.